It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Happy Aloha Friday. Thanks for tuning in here to Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. And Yanji, this morning we head over to Hawaii Island and uh, we're going to be discussing a very serious issue for the overall safety and security and medical care over there on the Big Island. That's right. We are joined this morning by the CEO of Kona Community Hospital, Clayton McGann. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's great to see you. We know that you have had a busy few weeks. You've been here at the Capitol since the legislature started session, really lobbying for your organization to get some much needed funds. We know that you operate uh, Kona Community Hospital along with the hospital in Kohala, which serves uh, the North point of the Big Island. Tell us a little bit about the population you're serving right now and what the need is for your facilities. Sure. So, you know, we, like you, you had mentioned, we really uh, service the whole west side of the island. So our population catchment is from the top, Kohala, all the way down to Kaui. And so the two hospitals that I currently oversee is Kohala Hospital and Kona Community Hospital. That's about 90,000 lives that we uh, see uh, on our side. And, and uh, some of the challenges that we're faced right now is obviously the risk of closure items that we've been meeting with legislators about. And in those meetings with lawmakers and legislators, uh, you're obviously requesting funds. Uh, can you go a little bit more to detail about some of the mechanisms to help produce those funds and, and what those funds will specifically be used for and, and, and the critical nature of why you need them? Yeah, so uh, we're looking for capital improvement funds uh, from the legislator. So essentially, uh, we have several items that we brought forward and, and wanted to make sure that they're aware of that are risk of closure. But one of them, uh, for example, is our, our pharmacy. So we call it our, a pharmacy expansion. Essentially, it's about $2.3 million. And th this money will go towards ensuring that we have the cancer drugs available to deliver that care in, in our cancer center. Um, our pharmacy right now, it, it, we have to expand per regulation to meet those guidelines. And so to, to be able to make those drugs, uh, that's one of the, the main uh, things that we have to focus on right now is getting that funding so that we can expand so that that service line doesn't stop. We wanna make sure that we continue to provide excellent care for our cancer patients. Another uh, big item is, is our central utility plant, for example. Uh, a good example of this is our chiller, chiller towers. We have to maintain a climatized control uh, for our operating rooms. And if we don't have a climatized control, we can't provide surgical procedures. So this puts us at risk significantly with our level three trauma designation. So if a traumatic injury comes in, we won't be able to treat them like we have been. We'll have to ship them off island. And that goes for our cancer uh, patients as well. The system is already overburdened right now. You probably have heard about it. 
Um, all the different facilities throughout the state are extremely busy. So we want to make sure that we can provide that care locally. You know, we, we had a conversation with Dan Brinkman, your counterpart over in Hilo, and he was telling us about just how full the ER is there and some of the things that they've had to do just to try to make sure that there are enough beds and facilities for folks. Um, these hospitals, as you noted, I mean, that swath of land that you're talking about, that's a lot of distance. If you don't have those facilities where you are, what are your concerns for the community? Um, because it is a, quite a trek to Hilo to try to get, you know, alternative services. It is. It's the tallest mountain in the world, right? You know, but it's also a long drive. Um, and depending on how fast you drive, it's about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes to get from Kona to Hilo. So I think the concern is, is especially for our patients, we're always considering how do we keep um, at delivering excellent care locally because, um, because we want them to have a healing environment close to where they live. Uh, can you imagine having to go get cancer treatments five days out of the week, driving over to the other side of the island or flying to Oahu? I mean, that's obviously you have to do what you have to do, but we have been delivering that uh, effectively here and we want to continue to provide that service. And we're going to take a look at some photos so viewers can get a better sense of what the area looks like. But I also want to ask uh, how you've been received by lawmakers. I mean, is there support for this? What are you hearing in your conversations that you're having with these legislators and lawmakers about some of the specific things that you're asking for? Yeah, um, honestly, it's actually been quite positive. Uh, we have explained our situation, they're aware of it, and they seem very receptive. They're open to it. In fact, I had one of the senators on the Big Island that said that our request was reasonable. Uh, we'd also uh, recently met with the Big Island Caucus, which was all of the different representatives and senators that represent this whole island and um, explained to them what our situation was. And they were had a lot of really uh, great questions and uh, were very uh, thoughtful and positive in what we're asking for. So I, I would say it, it's been going quite well and, and we look forward to continue to have those discussions with them. You know, we have we always like to bring in the viewers here. We have more of a comment than a question from Keller, but we always like to bring that in saying we can really use more help from the state to help sustain health care for the west side of Hawaii Island. It's a really large area and we can't afford to lose access to hospital care. Hopefully funding will be forthcoming from the legislature. You're asking if I'm not mistaken for make mistaken for around $20 million. Uh, it's not a small ask, but you just did say that the, the lawmakers you've spoken to say it's reasonable. Interesting to note with North Kohala, that hospital, uh, Dr. Josh Green, now Governor Green, uh, practiced for many years at that hospital. And so I'm, I'm curious to know if you've made this appeal directly to the governor himself, if he's an ally in this request as well. You know, we've, we've reached out to him and um, I've spoken to him several times uh, in the past before he became governor and he recognizes the need on the West side. Uh, we are trying to get a, uh, an audience with him, uh, but he's extremely busy, and I get it. Um, having that he worked for us, I think that he has an, a distinct understanding of what our challenges are, and I think that that does create uh, him to be a, a strong ally for us. Um, he knows the challenges on the Big Island and uh, what we face every single day, especially having delivered uh, care here. He, he sees what we're seeing. So I believe strongly that he will be um, an ally for us in the future. 
I'm wondering if you can take us through to how things have gotten to this point. Obviously, this is something, uh, you know, facilities, upgrades, um, whether it be new technology, things that have evolved over time. Uh, how long have, you know, the hospitals that you've been uh, managing been in this state? Uh, has it been, was COVID-19, was there any impact there that ha has expedited this need? Uh, if you can talk us through the process at which uh, you folks are now in the, in the state that you are in right now seeking this help? You know, it's, it, I only know what I know. I've been, been in this role for about six months, but I'm, I'm familiar with the hospital. In fact, when I first started my career, I was a volunteer in the ER. Um, that's where I started my healthcare journey back in 2014. So I'm deeply familiar with Kona Community Hospital. And it's done a lot of amazing things with the monies that they've received. But I think it, sh it shows that for many years, uh, the hospital has been chronically underfunded. Uh, you, you may ask for a certain amount, but you only get a fraction of it, which has led to uh, these risk of closure items. You do the best you can to plug holes that you see in those times. And uh, it doesn't change the fact that machinery, equipment, it gets old. Our hospital's 50 years old, so you, you can imagine um, there's many different things that you have to have to look at. Um, if you want to fix a piece of machinery, it's not as easy as just pulling it out and replacing it. There's all these other walls and things that have to be moved and thought of because of an old, old infrastructure. You know, if you don't get this funding, what kind of tough choices are you going to have to make when it comes to delivering care? I honestly don't like to think about that, but the reality is, is you have, you, you run the risk of closing down a service. So all of a sudden that stopped. And now that service, for example, our cancer care treatment, if that service line is stopped, well, now all of a sudden 400 to 500 lives that we usually see on a monthly average are now going to have to seek care in Oahu or go to Hilo. And it's not an ideal way to deliver care. So that's one of the things that we think about is we want to prevent that, right? So I, I don't want to have to make those decisions. So we're doing, that's again, why we're doing everything we can to appeal to the legislative lawmakers and help them understand where we're at. There's also the risk of closing. Um, if we had a water main break, if something happened um, that we can't preventatively keep from happening that with the funding that we need, then there is the risk of closing and then evacuating the hospital. Beyond just the, uh, you know, the issues and, and the funding that's needed for the facility, there's also concern about overall staffing and adequate support uh, in that manner, whether it be from nurses to doctors uh, and, and the shortage of those who uh, want to live on Hawaii Island and provide that care. If you can speak to uh, some of the staffing uh, issues, if there is any there and uh, how that impacts the community as well. Sure. Staffing has really been an issue we've been faced with for some time. Um, obviously, I think the pandemic really uh, shined a lot of light on uh, the frailty of our community, um, but also all of Hawaii. And staffing was the big issue. How do we how do we meet the staffing needs? Because you have employees that are going out sick um, and then you have to backfill that. But what we found is at least, you know, I look at it like this. COVID-19, we were hopeful that after the, after the pandemic, we would have a little bit of breathing room uh, to, to relax and, and try to you know, get back to some sense of normal. But we've seen the complete opposite. We now have sicker patients, non-COVID related, 
that are coming through our hospitals. So it's already very burdened, this system. So when it comes to staffing, you can see that um, we are faced with other challenges like housing, affordable housing. Uh, we may have a position that's open and we've had staff that want to come out here, but they can't afford a home. Or uh, they realize how expensive it is to rent something just to do a short-term contract. And we've actually had nurses cancel contracts because they just can't afford it. Wow. You know, housing, of course, is at the core of so many of the issues facing our state. Uh, you know, there there has to be some sort of synergy between, you know, what you're doing and the needs you have and the initiatives that this administration has laid out. Are you part of those conversations, you know, and what would you like to see when it comes to housing? Is there, um, you know, temporary housing or housing vouchers or something that you could see the state helping to step in? Because I think we should also clarify that your hospital is not a for-profit hospital. The funding mechanisms are a little different than some of the other hospitals uh, in our state. But but tell us a little bit about that housing piece and what you would like to see happen so that you know the people who want to come and serve your community can actually do it. Honestly, I think that uh, uh, Governor Green is very aware of this and he's proposed some language to help with some of the housing issues. And I think it's one of the main focuses that we're seeing. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, again, I think long-term, it's gonna take some time to get there. So we try to be as creative as we can uh, within our own little community by getting lists out there and, ha and explaining to the community that we need you know, help. And they've been very receptive. So again, if you know anyone or anyone that uh, is renting something out, let us know because we, we do have a, a list, a Facebook link that tries to get that message out there. So we, we uh, work a lot of times behind the scenes to, to help with that issue. And with regards to the staffing, I mean, is there a specific area that is maybe more uh, important at this point or our priority to fill? Where is there a specific area, I guess, within the staffing needs that you have that are kind of pushed up to the top of the priority list and things that you want to fill? It, it, honestly, um, nursing, that's a big one. It's hard to find uh, qualified nurses, uh, CNAs. Uh, I'll give you an example. We have right now, which is relates to staffing, we have on average 30 waitlisted patients, which is a third of our 94-bed hospital. A third of those beds are occupied by patients that need to be transferred to a uh, different uh, level of care, for example, long-term care patient. And those facilities that are available to us, they can only staff so many of those beds. So we can't move those patients, which then, like you'd mentioned earlier, our ER is extremely busy. And I know Helos faced with this too, many other hospitals, because those patients are occupying beds that we, we, uh, we could, fill with more acute patients, but we can't transfer them out to a different level of care. So nursing staff is, is, is uh, a top priority, as well as imaging staff. But I think it's important that you, you know what we're trying to do about this, because in the long term, uh, we've been really focused on um, how do we build and grow from within? How do we inspire the younger generations to want to get into healthcare? So we had in August started a surgical uh, tech program. It's the only one in the state. And we uh, are, are working with our first cohort, which we're very excited. And we're training them, giving them the advanced training to be able to have a really great high paying uh, job when they, when they graduate. We also are looking at a, uh, we just started in August as well, a nurse residency program. So these are ways that we're trying to 
to fix this long term, but it's the short term that's the, the real challenge right now. Well, and when you spoke earlier about, you know, perhaps a water main break could potentially shut down the hospital. I mean, that sounds pretty dire. Um, it reminds me sort of the, the report on Alice families that came out recently and this idea that one car breakdown, one medical emergency can push a family into a crisis, if you will. It sounds like the hospital is really in the same sort of situation. How can you uh, prevent against that short of getting this $20 million? Well, it, it's really it's really that's the tough question, right? What do we do? Well, a lot of it's all contingent on the funding we get. We have to get the funding um, so that we can do this, this maintenance and, and change out the systems that have been long overdue. And so uh, again, if we don't get that funding, then we're in that dire, uh, dire need. And so it, it's difficult, you know? I just hats off to the amazing team we have, the maintenance staff, I mean, they come in, I, I see the reports many times after hours to fix it and, and take care of some of these issues. And, you know, they're short-term fixes, but we wanna fix it once and for all and make sure that it, it's not something that we have to worry about so we can focus on delivering excellent care. And beyond, and if we can expand upon that, because beyond just receiving the funds, if the legislature does move forward with granting that, there is the execution of all these things that need to be done uh, that will not happen overnight. This will also take time. And so it becomes a balance of, uh, implementing some of these changes while also providing those services. Uh, have those conversations even begun a plan of action uh, to ensure that there is a way to, of course, expedite this, but to move this in a way where uh, this can happen should these funds be released? Yes, we have the planning. Uh, we did a master facility plan uh, several years ago. We have it all planned out. We're ready to go. We just need the funding, funding so that we can execute. Okay, so shovel ready, if you will. Um, I'm interested, you know, we did talk about the ER backup and, and just the overload that you are seeing. We know that COVID is part of that mix, but it's certainly not the primary at, cause at this point. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of the patients that are coming in and needing more advanced care? Uh, you know, you talked about wanting to have a pause or hoping for a pause, if you will, after those very, very big waves of Omicron and, and all the COVID that we saw in our community. Um, is this delayed care? What, what are you seeing that's causing all this backup? I think, you know, that's, uh, that's a great question. And I'm not a clinician, but what I've been hearing is that, you know, for the, for the two years that uh, many were um, sheltering, I guess is a good word, from COVID and doing the best they could, a lot of that uh, care that you might normally receive from a primary care provider was deferred. They said, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not going to go here or there to get the care that I might normally go get, you know, something checked out. So what, I, what we're seeing is the patients that are coming here, they have more, more comorbidities. Uh, they're sicker patients. And again, they're not always just COVID patients that are here. They're, they're patients that uh, could have received care, but deferred it. One of the issues that uh, we also talk to when we, we speak to those who uh, work in this industry and, and are leading hospitals is just the overall morale uh, of staff. It has been a very exhausting few years, of course, struggling through uh, COVID-19 uh, and, and all that was demanded of staff there. Uh, and for you folks, of, of course, dealing with the same thing, but also recognizing that there are some very serious needs that you uh, are dealing with. Uh, how are you managing the morale of those employees that uh, are, are there and, and, and what is the mood like amongst those workers? 
you know, it's funny because it's quite inspiring. Our staff is hands down the most amazing staff that I've ever worked with. And they um, themselves are inspired each and every day because they love the community. And I love that because I get to add my voice and advocate on their behalf. So really when we go around and talk to, to the lawmakers, uh, I'm speaking on behalf of them and the community and they, their morale is actually uh, high, they're very high hopes, I should say, that we can get the, the, the funding we need, but they, they love what they do and they're, they're the true heroes. And I'm just amazed every day to hear a story where someone went above and beyond just to, to do something that they didn't have to do, but they wanted to. And I think that's a, a direct result of their true uh, care for the community. You know, I want to ask you in those conversations with lawmakers, I, you mentioned meeting with the Big Island delegation, and I would presume that those folks would be solidly behind you on this effort. Um, but this is, of course, a statewide pitch that you have to make when you're talking about a request of $20 million. Uh, there's a lot of people who need to okay something of that size. What is the pitch that you make to lawmakers who are not from Hawaii Island as to why this is, you know, an important statewide priority, not just for the residents of the Big Island? You know, it's, it's exactly that. It's a state where it should be affect the whole state. So again, if we go back and say our chillering tower goes down for some reason, and now all of a sudden we have to transfer our operating room patients to another facility, possibly off the big island, that affects that facility where they may, may be, um, that, that legislative delegation there. So uh, it, it really is something that we continue to explain to them the, the severity uh, of our infrastructure issues so that they know that this is truly something that would affect not only our island and our community, but it really has a ripple effect down, down the road uh, to each of the other islands that are, that are uh, within our state. You know, Yunji and I are, are both from Hawaii Island, and, and so we, we kind of know a little bit more and or hear a little more about the issues of healthcare and access to healthcare on Hawaii Island being such uh, a big island, of course, uh, where it gets its name, but uh, just access to healthcare always seems to be a conversation that comes around during election season. Uh, you hear many lawmakers talking about rural healthcare, uh, and yet this is nothing new. This is generations of people talking about how to provide this type of care for the residents uh, of such communities like those on Hawaii Island. Uh, beyond just this money that you're asking for, I mean, what do you think it's going to take for uh, you know, there to be adequate access to health care, because it seems like this is a conversation that has been going on for quite some time. And it's just, uh, you know, it seems that they're putting band-aids on it rather than being able to build an infrastructure uh, on both sides or all over the island that can handle the needs of that community. You know, I'll say it. We, we need a new hospital. I mean, it, it, when it comes down to it, we, we know that we need a new hospital. But we have to get from point A to point B to get that new hospital. So we have to shore up the infrastructure we have now. But just, you know, speaking more to that, uh, it comes down to collaborating well with the other organizations that are out there. And we do that often many times where we're always looking to say, hey, how can we bring a service line in? How can we collaborate with uh, other, other large uh, organizations and think outside the box? So there's a lot of that that happens. But at the end of the day, we know we need a new hospital. And, and I think that uh, it, it does remain still on our, on our long-term plan to focus that effort. So once and for all, we can make that happen for the community because 
we all need it. We know that you were here in Honolulu making the pitch in person to several lawmakers. What's the timeline for this? What is sort of the roadmap, if you will, in this request for this 20 million uh, for this session? Well, there's a lot of meetings. <laughs> We've had a lot of meetings and we will continue to have a lot of meetings um, to make sure that each, each, like you said, it's not just the big island, it affects everyone. So we, we're reaching out. Uh, we have several meetings scheduled next week with uh, several lawmakers. So uh, a lot of time and effort has been spent just to make sure that they can see um, some of the information that we have and provide that with them, you know, very simply, here are our requests, here's what we're doing. That's, that's the roadmap. And uh, we, we, again, stay optimistic that they will uh, continue to listen and, and be helpful and, 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 and question, you know, uh, what we have, because we're, we're very passionate about this. Well, our time is almost up, but before we let you go, we want to allow you an opportunity to maybe speak to those lawmakers who are watching or, or anyone else in the community. Your final message here this morning uh, about what's happening there uh, in Kona and your efforts uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we're very appreciative of all the efforts that they're doing. We understand there's a lot of asks out there, but we hope that they will make healthcare the number one priority in all of their asks. It, it affects everyone from the top down, and we want to we want to make sure that this is the most important thing to them is that the health and well-being of the community is there. And HHSC, Hawaii Health Systems Corporation, and all the other hospitals should be a main focus of theirs because each community is distinct and individual with their own needs, and we want everyone to get what they need to continue to provide excellent care. And I just want to say how thankful I am to all the staff and the community for what they do each and every day. We know it's difficult with our ERs and the long wait times. We know it's a challenge, um, but continue to support us as, as we're trying our very best. It's a situation that um, is not easy, easily navigated, but we have very committed individuals here and, and we recognize that. So. Well, CEO of the Kona Community Hospital and also running the Kohala Community Hospital, Clayton McGann, thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate uh, all that you're doing to advocate for Hawaii Island, and uh, we hope to check in with you again soon. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be on the show. Aloha. Thanks. Well, very interesting to hear from him, Ryan, and you really hear a lot of parallels between what he is talking about and what Dan Brinkman brought to us uh, not too long ago in their ask. Uh, Hilo is asking for $50 million. You hear Kona there asking for $20 million. These are not small sums, but they are investments in our community that are desperately needed. Um, you know, he, he's saying there that they are small infrastructure problems away from potentially having to close down certain portions of the hospital, uh, you know, talking about the cancer care that they deliver, up to 500 patients on a monthly basis, the pharmacy care that they have, creating specialized compounds that you can't necessarily get just at your you know, uh, grocery store pharmacy, all of those very, very important services that they provide to what, as we know, is a huge landmass uh, on Hawaii Island and, and really a lifeline for so many in that community. Yeah, and you really get a sense of just where they are at with uh, some of the needs, as he said. Uh, but these conversations, as he uh, mentioned uh, with lawmakers are going well in his eyes. He he feels like he is speaking to an audience that understands the needs. Uh, of course, we brought up the conversation that, uh, you know, Dr. Josh Green or Governor Dr. Josh Green uh, is someone who knows that area as well and specifically knows 
uh, these hospitals and that um, maybe this might be an extra priority for the Green administration, noting that uh, this is a, an important lifeline for so many on that side of the island uh, and that they are looking to have those conversations with the governor to hope uh, add another advocate in their uh, corner as they continue to move forward with this. Uh, but also just the overall needs of staffing. A staffing issue, I feel like, is an issue we, t we hear from just about everyone, all variety of topics that we cover. Uh, staffing continues to be an is issue specifically with healthcare, though. Yeah, that's right. And it really all goes back to housing. He said that even when they can get the contracts for the medical uh, medical personnel that they need, then they have to figure out, well, where are we going to house these folks? Is there rental housing available? The housing, you know, on that side of the island is not readily available. It is pretty tight, a tight market there. And so, you know, there's a deeper conversation and different initiatives that need to happen to create more affordable housing. But in the short term, you know, he's saying that they need this money now because this hospital uh, really really needs some upgrades that are critical to continuing operations. And speaking of the governor, he is our guest on Monday. We will bring him a question about this facility, along with housing, along with Red Hill, along with a myriad of issues, the green fee. You know, of course, he delivered his state of the state address. And we have a lot of follow up questions to him about his priorities, his initiative initiatives. And also, Ryan, where are the cabinet nominees in his estimation? Uh, how are they doing when it comes to getting confirmed? Yeah, something that was specifically mentioned in his State of the State, asking lawmakers to support his team and to make sure that they do all that they can to uh, approve his nominees and so he can begin governing and getting his leaders in place in these various departments. A lot to cover in a half an hour. We're going to try our best to cover as much topics. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you right back here on Monday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Take care. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.